Chapter 63 It took a lot of self-control to not stomp my feet as I ascended the stairs. How dare he? My thoughts screamed inside my head to first of all lie to me, but also to insinuate that would work on the streets. Not that there's anything wrong with sex work, just the way he said it. Ergerga. I flop onto my bed, wanting to bury my thoughts and that argument and all of my worries into the folds of the duvet. What is it about being here, in this house, that puts me right back into the same mental headspace as when I left it? It's like history is repeating itself. My parents are arguing, my older sisters are nowhere to be seen, and things with Velma are messy. I still don't know where I stand with her. I like her, that's for sure, but it's different this time. The first time, everything was fresh and new and slightly awkward. I loved her because I thought she was perfect. She was the smartest, kindest, toughest person I knew, and pretty to boot, too, and I loved her for it. It was a pretty standard teenage love. We loved each other in a stumbling, clunky way because we didn't know any better. We were exploring things, together, and discovering new things. Instead of growing together, however, we ultimately grew apart, and that was okay. Now, though, it's like the solace of finding an old pair of boots in the back of your cupboard and them still fitting perfectly. Or coming across an old favorite on Spotify and still knowing all the words to the song. Or seeing the sunset for the millionth time, knowing that there's a million more to go, each and every one unique, but still comfortingly familiar. Even just thinking about Velma seems to have calmed my fury to a minimal simmer, so I grab my laptop from my desk and open the article I had been working on before lunch. It feels wrong, somehow. Something about the way the insertion point blinked at me caused a rock to settle in the pit of my stomach and sweat to start pooling in my hands. The remaining third of the page was still blank, and all I could think about was how pleasant it would be to sit under a tree with Velma in the summer, watching the world pass us by. How we could get one of those puppies. How we could go to the meadow and play in the river. How we could bask in the sunshine, book in hand. How if we had another thousand years together, it still wouldn't be enough, because I want this to last for eternity. I minimize the document and instead open a new tab and start typing. Crystal Cove Properties to Let The insertion point blinks at me, silently asking me if I'm sure. I press enter. I recognize most of these houses, Crystal Cove isn't exactly a large town, and it hasn't changed much since I last visited Dash but there's one in particular that catches my interest. A two-bedroom house with a pretty spacious garden and a lovely view of the coast. Velma had a listing for this house on her coffee table. Several of them, actually. As I glanced through the images, my brain decided to, rather unhelpfully, might I add, 
picture what it would be like to live there. I think of spring mornings, foraging in the park nearby, houseplant hunting in garden centers, whispering hello to the neighbor's cat, and making matching flower crowns for each other. I think of summer afternoons, taking walks or having picnics on the beach, sharing strawberries and swapping stories, stolen kisses in the shade and cuddles in the sunshine. I think of autumn evenings, watching leaves turn as vibrant and ablaze as the setting sun, our breaths white as snow in the chilled air, and shaking the sand from our hair. I think of winter twilights, snuggling while swaddled in blankets and jumpers, watching childhood classics on the beat-up, old TV, dancing to cheesy Christmas songs, and chatting while making cookies to share the next day. I think of all that could be, I long for it, and sigh. With a solemn heart, I close the window and pull the document back up. That just isn't possible, and I know it. Wakey, wakey, sleeping beauty, I poked Daphne's side, trying to rouse her from her slumber, come on I need your help. No response. Daphne, I whined, nudging her again. Still nothing. Daphne. I barked, hoping the sudden shift in volume would startle her awake. No such luck. Grasping the corner of her blanket, I whipped the blanket from around her and onto the floor. She stirred and grabbed at the opposite corner of the blanket, mumbling no, five more minutes. Daph, it's seven, if we want to get to Yellowstone on time we need to leave within the next half hour, I told her, checking my watch for the fiftieth time, and we need to brush our teeth and eat and stuff before we get going, so, get up. Now, ideally. No response again. She seemed too still. Like she wasn't actually asleep, just trying her best to fake it. Daphne. I rolled her onto her back and laid along her stomach, trying to make myself as much of a nuisance as possible. Oh, it's so cozy here, maybe you're right. Grinning, I dug my chin into her shoulder, elbowed her forehead, and kicked her shin, so comfy. Fine, she pouted, finally pushing me off, couldn't you have just kissed me awake or something? That would have been cute, at least. Aha. I knew you heard me for the first time. I said, fighting back the sudden hotness that flushed my cheeks. I have no idea what you're talking about, Daphne smirked as she slung her wash bag over her shoulder, let's go wake the guys up. We clambered our way out of the van and kicked the tent about in a not-so-gentle attempt to wake up the boys. Shaggy noticed our efforts first, cursing at us for interrupting a nice dream. Ever the romantic, he leant over and kissed Fred, much to the boys' sleepy chagrin. Shaggy, he whined, pushing the boy away, your breath still smells like the diner, you could at least have used a breath mint or something. Sorry, you just looked so cute, Shaggy ribbed, couldn't help myself, love. 
I beamed widely at Daphne, who slapped five bucks into my outstretched hand. She cleared her throat, interrupting the boys I fucking, or whatever it was they were doing, we should go get ready. We'll eat breakfast in the van, so grab something from Walmart before we leave, got it? Shaggy flashed a thumbs up while Fred nodded. Right then, I clapped my hands together, let's go. We all bought food, washed our hair in the bathroom sinks, packed away the tent, and did whatever else needed to be done. We all climbed into the van, ready for another day of driving. Once again, Daphne and I were in the back with Scooby, this time playing Truth or Dare, she always picked Dare, and I always picked Truth, while Fred and Shaggy sat in the front. Shaggy leaned over and tinkered with the radio after the last familiar radio station faded into static, trying to find another one. Fred pointed him towards the glove box after five minutes of fruitless fiddling. He started rifling through Fred's CD selection, occasionally turning around to show us his piss-poor taste in music. After the fifth Simon and Garfunkel CD emerged from the depths of the glove box, Shaggy threw up his hands with resignation. Fred, he said, affronted, why does your music taste like that of a 40-year-old white guy going through a midlife crisis? What are you talking about? Simon and Garfunkel are cool, Fred retorted, incorrectly, their music makes me feel safe. Well, they're boring as hell, Daphne quipped, popping her head between the two front seats, and it's a road trip. We don't want safety, we want adventure. In the rearview mirror, I saw her eyes flashing with excitement as she said this. And fun, I added. Taking a handful of the back of Daphne's t-shirt, I pulled her back into her seat, Simon and Garfunkel aren't fun. What? Fred protested, reaching for the CD still in Shaggy's hand, they can be fun. Just listen Dash. And oh, the three of us yelled in every synchrony. Anything but that, Shaggy nearly growled swiping the CD out of Fred's reach. Since you love the sound of your voice so much, Dash, I said, earning me a glare from Fred, why don't you tell us about your uncle? The thing is, he's not actually my uncle, Fred started, I think he might be my mum's uncle, so that would make him my great-uncle? Or maybe he's my grandpa's uncle? You don't know? Daphne asked, but he's your family. He's always just been Uncle Cass, Fred shrugged, I don't even know how old he is. Every time I ask he just jokes that he's 200. That might not be a joke, Shaggy grinned, adding in his best impression of a ghost, woo. Exactly. Fred pointed at Shaggy, adding in a low, serious tone, he's a vampire. Pfft, I scoffed, pulling out my notebook to take notes, and what evidence do you have of that? Well, for one, he lives in a castle on an island in the Delaware River, Fred returned his eyes to the road, 
The only other things on the island is a factory that makes specialized coffins and a private museum on the occult. Creepy, I conceded, but otherwise just the bourgeoisie wasting money again. Your uncle, he's nothing special, just a tad eccentric, I bet. No, Fred said with significant force behind his voice, his hands tightening around the steering wheel, he's a vampire. He's even called Count Jones. That's just a title, Dumba Dash, I snapped back before Shaggy interrupted the impending argument by pulling out a stack of cards. Do you guys know how to play Joker? He asked, not waiting for an answer, so basically Dash. Chapter 64 I need to get away from my laptop. I've been working on this piece for two hours now, and this one sentence has me stuck. I just cannot get past it. Why do you write? My screen reads. I tried the good old method of coming back to it later, but everything I write seems off. Like there's a piece missing because I can't answer the question. Why do you write? The insertion point blinks at me. Again. And again. And again. It's not like it's particularly important, the article itself is done, this is just an extra form the higher-ups sent out, but I still can't answer it. I don't know the answer. Or I do, but I don't know how to put it into words. Why do you write, it insists, trying to evoke an answer out of me like taking blood from a stone. It's like asking why do you breathe, or what do you live for? No one knows the answer to that. Or if they do, they're naively mistaken or blinded by their own egotism. The rock of maybe anxiety settled in the pit of my stomach. I need to go on a run, just get all of this energy out. That house is still playing on my mind. Maybe, if I run for a bit with music playing in my ears, I'll stop thinking about it. I'd change into some workout clothes and roughly tie my hair back into a ponytail. Maybe, if I tire myself out, I'll be able to sit and write without jiggling my leg constantly. I dig my running shoes out from my closet and clip the spare set of keys into a lanyard around my neck. Maybe, if I take my mind off it and distract myself, the answer will come to me. I click the door shut behind me. Going running makes me feel free. It always has. Swimming used to do that, but I guess too much of anything makes it bad. Something is exhilarating about pouring your energy into just moving. It's drizzling slightly, that thin, misty kind of rain that clings to your skin. My hair makes a wet slapping sound against my back with every step, but it doesn't matter because it feels like flying. The music blares in my ears and my feet pound against the pavement. I don't really know where I'm going, just letting my instinct lead the way. I haven't run like this in a long time. 
New York just doesn't feel safe enough to run in, so if I do run, it's usually on a treadmill, but that just isn't the same. In a gym, the wind can't unwind your hair and whip it about your face. There are no memories of childhood to give you that final boost of serotonin. There's no sudden scent of salt assaulting your nose to make you realize that you ran all the way to the coast. It's a gradual downward slope, which will kill my thighs on the way back, so it feels like I'm being pulled towards the house. If I'm being honest, the house is a tip. It's clearly been sitting empty for several years now, and I wouldn't be surprised if the little dart of black and brown I saw enter the house was a rat. The garden was overgrown with weeds, most of which were up to my waist in height. It's no surprise to see that the for-sale sign had fallen over into a nearby bush from the side of the rest of the house. It's almost beautiful how rundown it is. The weeds, somehow, were all in full bloom, as though some supernatural force was willing them to do so, making the whole thing look like it was copying a frame from a cinematographic masterpiece of a film. The rusted gate offers up minimal resistance when I push it open, aside from the creaking. Mostly to prove that the flowers were real, I pick a few of them and make a little bouquet of the flowers to take home with me. Tiny lavender geraniums with their huge leaves, chunky dandelions, a handful of mallows and daisies, and a couple of bindweeds for flair. Weeds are just flowers growing in the wrong place, my grandfather used to say, just because they weren't planned, doesn't mean they're not magnificent in their own way. I use my hair bobble to tie them all together, so I don't drop any as I wander about the house. Of all the rooms downstairs I don't want to risk the stairs just yet the kitchen is what catches my attention the most. The rain has eased up by now, and a ray of sunshine spills onto the counter. I could see the future, or a possibility of one, as clear as day, it'll be a Saturday morning, and I will smell the eggs and coffee as I enter the room, sleep still clinging to my eyes. The faucet will be dripping because no one's gotten around to fixing it yet. The dog will be running around, trying to beg for scraps of food. A faded red ribbon will adorn a frame on the wall, and instead of bringing out tears, it'll bring out smiles and memories of happy times. There will be a peeled clementine on the table, and Velma will point to it with a smile that's yours if you want it. The run back home is killer on my legs, but at least there is no rain this time. I steal an empty jar from the pantry, fill it with water, and place my weed bouquet into the jar. I place the jar on my desk so I can look at it as I type. Flopping back into my chair, I tap the spacebar a few times to wake up my laptop. Why do you write? It asks again. I write because, you know, my dad's still convinced we're going to get married, Daphne. Fred whipped his head around from the driver's seat to glance at her as he spoke, he's got his heart set on it. Oh, really? 
Shaggy scoffed, well, he's way off. We'd been on the road for most of the day at that point. As Fred was the only one of us who could drive, he was stuck in the driver's seat for all of that time, but the rest of us were free to move as we liked. We started with Fred and Shaggy in the front, and me and Daphne in the back, but Shaggy had joined us in the back after a bathroom break to play Uno with us. How would that even work? I asked, scrunching up my nose, if you guys got married? Shaggy shrugged, it's probably just nepotism at play, don't worry Velma, you've still got a chance. Flashing him an annoyed look for being so obvious, I kicked his leg to try and make him shut up. Ever since he figured out that I like Daphne, he has not shut up about it. Even if I'm just talking to him whenever he's around, he keeps making little jabs and comments reminding me that he knows. I was talking about Uno, he retorted with an affronted look. He slammed down a green card, pouting. Hmm, I don't think Velma actually knows how to play, though, Daphne said, resting her chin on my shoulder to peer at my cards. Honey, I don't think that's the best card to play, try this one. She swiped a card from my deck and flicked it into the pile between me and Shaggy. He groaned and picked up two cards, Fred, it's not fair, the girls are teaming up against me again. I do know how to play. I turned to her, only to realize that she was still resting her chin on my shoulder. It took an impressive amount of neck contortion to avoid brushing my lips against hers, you're just distracting me. I'd be winning otherwise. I ignored Shaggy's barely stifled snort of laughter and instead focused on the hug Daphne had enveloped me in. Fred, you can tell your dad I'm cheating on you with Velma, she said over my shoulder, still holding on to me tight. I could see Shaggy raising his eyebrows at me, so I stuck my tongue out in response. That might get him off your back for a bit. I mean, Fred paused, seemingly at a loss for words, I guess. It probably won't, to be fair, he's pretty insistent. Oh, wait, never mind, I forgot platonic relationships were a thing. Daphne squeezed my shoulder with a smile, ah, well. How long until we get to Yellowstone? We're nearly there, Fred replied, maybe five minutes? That was a lie. It took us another half hour to get to Yellowstone. And another twenty minutes to find the campsite. Thankfully, we had set off early enough to have most of an afternoon left in the day, so we spent the remaining hours of sunlight hiking and traipsing around the park. Shaggy took the classic tourist photo of Fred, Daphne, and me in front of the old faithful geyser sign and another one of our backs as we watched the Excelsior geyser. Fred stupidly got way too close to some bison and got a well-deserved lecture from one of the park rangers about the importance of keeping the wildlife wild. Daphne, at some point, took my hand to show me something and just kept holding it. 
I wasn't complaining. Eventually, though, we wore ourselves out and retreated to the van, weariness dragging at our heels. Shaggy and I volunteered to go get supplies and food from a store we had passed earlier, and so we set off into the night, trying to make the most of the last of the sunlight. The conversation in the van was still replaying itself in my head. What had Daphne meant by cheating? And if she forgot that platonic relationships were a thing, does that mean our relationship isn't platonic? If not, what is it? She probably didn't mean anything by it, a little voice in my head told me, just a straight girl doing straight girl stuff, don't overthink it. Penny for your thoughts? Shaggy asked, holding up the penny he had just picked up from the ground, they're probably gay ones, right? I shoved him away from me gently, but don't bother trying to deny it, I can't stop thinking about what she said in the van, you know the whole oh no I forgot platonic relationships were a thing incident? And she held my hand today. And she also said it would be a cute picture if we kissed in front of the geyser. Did you? Hmm. Kiss her? Shaggy asked, mimicking clicking a camera shutter, she's right, it would make a cute photo, but did you actually take it? No. I turned away from him to hide my blush, there were people around, and she seemed to forget about it quite quickly. What are you going to do about it, he asked, staring up at the sky to judge how much sunlight we had left. Are you going to tell her how you feel? Or at least ask her out? No, I'm just going to hope that she's braver than me, I told him matter-of-factly, I just can't get the words out. Velma, Shaggy groaned, disappointed, but that means nothing is going to happen. You're both so awkward and unable to express your feelings, it's like you're in a slow-burn romance. It's impossible, I corrected him, ignoring the comparison he'd just made. Oh, shit, Shaggy started patting his pockets, clearly looking for something, I forgot my wallet in the van. We can just go back for it, no big deal, I suggested, already turning on my heel to walk back, it's not far. Yeah, but the store closes soon, Shaggy made a theater of raising his index finger as though an idea had just struck him, Velma, can you go back and get my wallet? I can get everything we need from the store, you just need to make it there before the store closes, okay? I can stall for maybe five minutes, but not much longer than that, so hurry. And with that, he pushed me towards the van forcing me into an ambling jog all the way there. As I heard the sound of voices in the van, my hand haltered. I don't know why, but something about the tone of the voices suggested that I should wait a minute before barging in. You should tell them, Fred's voice said. It was soft, for once, full of understanding and sympathy. He had never used that voice in my presence. Nothing is going to happen otherwise. But what if they don't like me back? 
Daphne's voice drifted out from inside the van, full of concern and fear, what if they're, you know. But you'll never find out if you never try, Fred pointed out, also, why are you using they? There's no need to play the pronoun game, it's just me here. My hand tightened around the door handle. She likes someone. How about I write them a postcard? Or a letter? Daphne suggested, presumably so Fred would stop going on about it, that way it's done, but I don't have to deal with it until we get home. Deciding that it was weird for me to just stand there and eavesdrop, I turned the handle and stepped inside. Velma. Daphne's smile spread across her face, you're back early, did you get everything? Fred mumbled something under his breath that sounded suspiciously a lot like speak of the devil. I must have misheard. Nope, Shaggy forgot his wallet. It was there, on the dashboard, so I pocketed it hurriedly and headed back towards the store before Fred could give me any more dirty looks. Chapter 65 Since Velma had gotten an Instagram, we had been dmeng almost constantly. Obviously, it wasn't an uninterrupted conversation Velma is still the head baker and I have articles to write dash, but it was pretty darn close. A little while ago, she sent me a recipe for chocolate chip cookies. These are really straightforward, she had typed, even a child could make them, laughing face, love. Now that I have finished most of my work, I figured that I deserve a break. And it has nothing to do with the fact that 3 to 5 in the afternoon is a particularly busy time for the bakery and so Velma won't be returning my DMs anytime soon. Yep. Definitely not. She's right, though, this recipe is pretty simple. It's mostly just weighing and mixing with a little bit of scooping. Mum is having a cup of coffee on the breakfast bar when I enter the kitchen, reading something on her tablet. Do we have chocolate? I ask her as I potter around the room gathering ingredients or chocolate chips. In the pantry, the third shelf from the bottom in the corner, she glances up from her tablet and holds out a wagging finger with a threatening look, and you mustn't tell your father where it is he cannot be trusted with chocolate. Thanks, Mum, I won't. The chocolate is exactly where she said it would be. As I pick up my phone from the counter, I tap on it to wake it from its black screen of slumber. No new notifications since I checked it last time, just a few minutes ago. As expected. Something about the lack of notifications unsettles my stomach. Like I know logically that she's not going to text me back for a while, but a little part of me still hopes that it's her. I like talking to her. On, on some topics, the big important ones, we're on the same page. Like the fact that it's probably too late for either of us to have biological children, but adoption is a great option if we want older kids, for example. But on the smaller ones, 
like whether or not you should salt the water you boil pasta in, she, like a heathen, doesn't, we're not. Something about arguing playfully and jokingly, mind you, is relieving. It's nice to just let out all the argumentative energy about something neither of us really care about. What are you making, anyway? Mum asks, peering over my shoulder, cookies? Yep, chocolate chip, I reply, dumping another tablespoon of sugar into the measuring bowl. Hmm, didn't know you liked to bake. Mum raises a knowing eyebrow, is this a new hobby? Or is it an old interest that you rekindled an interest in? Rolling my eyes, I shoo her out of the kitchen. I can hear her chuckling all the way to the living room. Back to baking, it is. I had brought my laptop downstairs with me, so I let the Great British Bake Off play in the background while I made the cookies. Velma was right, it is actually a pretty good show. I'm watching the celebrity version at the minute, so it's a bit more light-hearted than the usual show. I don't need any stress or pressure, not even secondhand, orchestrated stress. Of course, the cancer part is upsetting, but it's manageable. As James Acaster fills his deconstructed horns with cream, a notification pauses the video. It's Michaela calling me. Which is unusual, to say the least. Michaela does call me, sure but she'd always text first to ask if I was busy at least a couple of minutes in advance, yet I had received no such text. She better not have split anything again. After wiping the buttery sugar from my hands, I tap accept. Hi, Michaela, I say, smiling at the familiar face on the screen. She's got the laptop on the table in the hallway, she must be calling me as she gets ready to go out. It's too early to be a rager, and judging by her rather glittery getup, she's probably headed for a date. Is everything all right? I asked her, launching into my cool aunt advice before waiting for an answer, if you've spilt wine on the carpet again, use salt, the aerosolized carpet foam, and some paper towels immediately, you should get rid of any evidence. They should all be under the sink, so if you need to go do that, do it now. That's a good tip, actually, I'm writing that down, Michaela replies, dutifully noting it down, Salt, you said? Mmm, works for most liquids. Thanks. Michaela caps the pen, then flashes the most suspicious innocuous smile I have ever seen, Sue. How's it going with new Hannah? Velma is not the new Hannah, I give her a stern look. For God's sake, that girl will ship anything, if anything, Hannah was the new Velma, I've known Velma since we were in high school. So, Michaela grins, she's called Velma? I can practically see her eyes glinting as she says this, like a predator assured that their prey has fallen into their trap. Oh dear, what have I gotten myself into this time? I'm not giving you her surname, I say, 
turning my back to her so I can grab the whisk from the drawer, so don't even think about trying to find her on social media. Too late. I can hear the grin in her words even with my back turned to the screen. What? Daphne, are you so old that you don't know how Instagram works? She's holding her phone in her hand, scrolling through something as she speaks. I follow you, remember? I'm not that old. I roll my eyes. So what if you follow me? I can see who you follow, Daphne. Well, shit. Ah. Who else has seen that? I don't have many followers, mostly just acquaintances and some work colleagues, and Matthew. Shit, Matthew might know. Don't worry, I haven't looked at her account, Michaela reassures me with a worryingly cheerful smile, I'm waiting for you to introduce me properly. Thankfully, she's stopped paying full attention to me and instead focuses on. Yeah, no, not gonna happen. I start sifting the flour into my mixture as I rebut Michaela. I'm keeping you and Emily as far apart as possible. Who knows what you two could get up to if you joined forces. I don't know who this Emily person is, but from what you just said, I bet they're awesome. Michaela pretends to tidy her hair in the mirror. There's no way those double puffs, which I highly suspect was inspired by Zoe from Gronish need any tidying, they're perfect dash, so, baking, huh? This has nothing to do with Velma. Sure, it doesn't, she grins incredulously, clearly knowing better, how did you meet her anyway? Were you friends in, high school, did you say? You could say that. What's with all the... Michaela gestures at me, mystery? Did you guys go out or something? My cookie dough mixture is fascinating. It's got this wonderful parchment color and the texture is just dash. Oh my god, you two are childhood sweethearts? Michaela looks like a six-year-old who's just been told that they're going to Disneyland, absolutely delighted. Shut up, I mutter, hiding my blush behind my hands. How does Michaela pull all this out? You are living your best MC of a fanfic life. She shakes her head with a soft smile, I'm so jealous. You are in a very fulfilling, long-term relationship with your partner, who you have yet to introduce me to, Michaela, I remind her, looking at her pointedly once my blush has calmed down a bit, if anything I should be jealous of you. H.M., but that's different, Michaela pouts, do you know how long I've dreamt of being in your position? You're still young, it might happen. Not childhood sweethearts, Daphne, Michaela shakes her head sadly as if living a dejected life without a childhood sweetheart is the end of the world. She snaps out of it quickly enough, adding more cheerfully, well, I've got to go, so talk to you later. Have fun on your date, I smile at her. If she's going to tease me, she's going to be teased right back, call me when they finally propose to you. Maybe I can actually meet them.
Bye, Daphne, Michaela rolls her eyes at me. Also, Velma's pretty cute. Make sure to steal that orange jumper from her. I want to borrow it. Oh, she definitely looked at Velma's profile, that little liar. I'm going to get her back for that, but let me text Velma back first. That looks ominous, doesn't it? Daphne pointed to the slate gray clouds looming over us. Mm, might rain soon, I replied, trying to estimate how long we had left before the heavens would empty. We had arrived in Minneapolis earlier that day, but as we couldn't decide where to go, we ended up splitting into two groups. Shaggy and Fred took Scooby on a walk to go see Minnehaha Falls, while Daphne and I went to the Mall of America. While clothes shopping wasn't really my thing, it made Daphne happy, so I didn't mind tagging along with her. Her smile when she managed to find the perfect item made the aching feet worth it. We had taken two metros and a bus, but we still had to walk the remaining half a mile back to the motel, so I prayed, desperately, that it wouldn't rain. We don't have a washing machine on the van, so our clothes would probably stink of rain until we got to Philadelphia if we got caught in the rain. Do you have an umbrella on you? she asked, hoping to light up her eyes, maybe it won't be so bad? No, sorry, I left it in the van. Drats, Daphne cursed, lightly swinging her fist across her chest in frustration, I don't either. We kept plodding along in near silence, just watching the world around us. The silence isn't awkward or uncomfortable. If anything, there was something peaceful about it, like a shared promise to just watch the world pass us by. As we approached a corner store, Daphne pointed to it, asking, Do you want to go buy some snacks before we head back? If it's going to rain soon, we might as well make this trip extra worth it, so we don't have to come back later. Yeah, sure, I said, digging my wallet out of my backpack, what do you want? I don't know, surprise me, she smiled, I'm gonna buy a postcard, do you want to send one to your mom? Sure, I grinned back at her, pick one that just screams tourist, please. Will do. Daphne had several bags of shopping with her, she had gone all out in the Mall of America, so I offered to hold them while she picked out the postcards. Something about this road trip was really smacking me with Sonder, the realization that each and every person I meet has their own story, their own narrative. Like the store owner, an elderly Asian woman with wrinkles as deep as the Grand Canyon. I wondered about what her life has been like. Who is the boy in the photos on the wall, her son? Her grandchild? And where is the little boy now? She looks old enough to have survived the Second World War, one thought to myself, was she placed into an internment camp? I wondered if she remembered the Minneapolis riot during the long hot summer of 1967 whether she was scared of losing her store or losing a loved one to the violence.
I wondered if the woman knew each of these streets like the back of her hand, if she grew up in these parts, if she had memories of first friends and first loves in these places, yet to me, this was just another city I was passing by. She must have seen me staring as she beckons me closer, struggling to choose a snack for your friend? Not exactly, but I nodded anyway, choosing to ignore the slight pause. Try the strawberries. Legend has it that if you break a double strawberry in half to share with another person, she instructed me with a knowing wink, you two will fall in love with each other. She placed a box of strawberries in my hand, and sure enough, there was a double strawberry in there. Tea thank you? I stammered out, unsure of how to react to her statement. Instead, I focused on the wallet in my hand, how much are they? For you, she smiled, pushing my hand away, they're free. Are you sure? I asked, placing the strawberries on the counter, I can afford it, miss, you don't need to dash dot. It's no problem, don't worry, the woman pushed the strawberries back towards me, patting my hand, seeing young love flourish makes me much happier than any amount of money could. Velma? Daphne rounded the corner, two postcards in hand, oh, you got some strawberries? Could you get these, too? With a quick look at the woman, I nodded, which ones did you pick? The purple one is for me, the other one is for you, Daphne said, Draping an arm around my shoulders, I figured that your mum would like a classic one, and what's more classic than the pictures in the letter's postcard? After paying for the postcards, we resumed our trek back to the motel, only for it to start pouring down moments after we left the store. Daphne glanced at me, her eyes full of mischief, race you back to the motel? The rain was already starting to accumulate on my glasses, so I nodded, not pausing to confirm before starting to run at full speed down the road. Her laughter echoed in my ears as she overtook me, hurriedly drowned out by the whistle of the air and the roar of pounding rain slamming into the pavement. It was almost ferocious, the rain, how brutally it was falling. I loved it. Daphne doubled over with laughter, or exhaustion from running, I don't know waited for me at the top of the road. In one fluid motion, she straightened up, stole my glasses from me, and took my arm, those glasses have too much rain on them, let me be your guide. Chuckling, I let her hand grasp the fabric of my jumper, knowing that I'll probably overthink this moment later. There's a certain level of comfort I got from knowing that it was Daphne who was guiding me. Even if she was usually reckless, I'd trust her to be careful. Oh dear, I heard from next to me. What's going on? I asked, squinting to see slightly better. All I can make out is the colors and some vague, blurry shapes. Well, Erm, don't panic, Daphne said causing me to panic immediately, but the gate is shut. We're locked out. I reached out in front of me, and sure enough, 
the gate was shut and didn't give way when I pushed on it. What do we do now? I asked, in a direction that I hoped was Daphne's, could we jump the fence? H.M., probably not, there's a pretty steep drop, Daphne pointed out, do you want to go to the park nearby? We could find some shelter from the rain there. Yeah, okay, lead the way. We ended up huddling under a tree, using the leaves above to shield us from the rain. We were thoroughly damped by the rain by then, so we clung to each other for warmth while we waited for the rain to abate. We must have looked like quite a pair, the two of us. I don't know about me, but when Daphne's hair got soaked, she thoroughly resembled a drowned rat. A cute one, sure, but a drowned rat, nonetheless. I can't remember what we talked about in that hour or so, but I do remember splitting the double strawberry with her. It can't hurt to try, I thought to myself as I savored its sweetness, I might as well.